The following audio is from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org. Well, through the summer in the park, we did we took a break from our typical Wednesday night study. Normally on Wednesday nights, we are working our way through the Bible. And for the summer, we took a break from our kind of tracking through the book of 2 Kings, and we did that Heroes of Faith series where we took different characters from the Bible and looked at their walk and journey of faith and then applied it to our own. Interesting tonight, as we come back to our study in 2 Kings, we come to a a man by the name of Hezekiah, and he could very well have been the next chapter in our Heroes of Faith. We are going to see a man that God ministered to and God used uh, as he prayed in great faith. So it's coming back to 2 Kings, but it's kind of continuing our Heroes of Faith series. If you have your Bibles with me, open up with me to 2 Kings chapter 18. 2 Kings chapter 18, just to bring you back into the book of 2 Kings. This is a book that describes the history of the nation of Israel, and it relates the history to the reign of the kings. This was a time in Israel's history that they were a divided nation, north and south. Uh, a, A split had happened after Solomon's reign. The nation split, and we've been tracking through both the northern and southern kingdom, the kings kind of moving back and forth, uh, the story, the, the narrative moving back and forth. And here we find ourselves, chapter 18, most recently, the northern kingdom ha- is no longer in existence. The northern kingdom never had a heart for the Lord. The kings were all rebellious and turned the people away from following after God. And God sent prophet and warning and, and endeavored to minister. And 200 years, over 200 years of crying out to them, they refused. They continued to worship pagan idols. And God allowed the nation of Assyria to come and conquer them. They've been taken captive and they are no longer in existence The southern kingdom is still viable. That's where Jerusalem was. And the southern kingdom had at least some good kings. There were plenty of bad kings as well. But those good kings acted as a preservative for the nation. It sustained them. And you know, in the same way, God has called us as the church to be salt in in our generation, to be that preserving agent if, we, if you took the, the church out of the world, where would the world be in very short time without the preserving work of God, the, the light of the gospel, the believers in the earth? We are here as preservers and you know, agents of light and the gospel. And so in the, in the nation of Judah, these good kings, every now and then a good king would rise up and God would bless the nation and they would have revival and they would have opportunity to sustain God's blessing into, the, into, their, into their land. And, and so the southern kingdom has remained a little longer. And tonight, as we look at chapter 18, we're introduced to a king by the name of Hezekiah, and he's a good king. In fact, one of the better kings that has happened. And he happens to be on the throne during the time that the northern kingdom is being conquered by Assyria. Pick it up with me now in verse 1. Let's take a look at the scene. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hoshea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, 
that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. The southern kingdom was known as Judah. The northern kingdom was known as Israel. Verse 2, he was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abby, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. He removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars. He cut down the wooden image and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. The Lord was with him. He prospered wherever he went, and he, re- and he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. He subdued the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory, from watchtower to fortified city. We get a general summary of Hezekiah and his reign, 29 years. He's a good king. He's prominent in kind of resetting the the worship life for the, the southern kingdom. And this is just the introduction and summary. Following, we'll get into the details, some of the particulars of his reign. But just a few things to notice here, because there's a good pattern of his reign that I think we can apply into our own lives. The first thing he did is he, he tore down all the false places of worship. He kind of got the, the pagan structures out of the way. And you know, that's not a bad place to start when you want revival spiritually in your life. Tear down the false idols. Set aside, the, as the writer of Hebrews says, the weight and sin which so easily ensnare us. If you don't know the Lord, that's your first step is to repent, to turn your heart to the Lord, to turn away from those things that entangle and to come to the Lord. And then it says that he trusted the Lord. And that's step two. Remove those things that are entangling you and then put your trust and faith in the Lord. If you're coming to faith for the first time, that's your first step, putting your faith in Jesus, repenting, turning, and putting your trust in Jesus. And then it says that he held fast to the Lord. This means he walked with the Lord. He, he journeyed with the Lord. It wasn't just an emotional moment. It wasn't this up and down kind of walk. He held fast to God. And, in the, in, and then it says that he obeyed the Lord. And when you're walking close to the Lord, you do walk in obedience. And the Lord prospered him. This is the blessing. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. As we walk with him, as we hold fast to him, as we learn to obey his commandments. The Bible says his commandments are not burdensome. My commandment I give unto you that you love one another just as I have loved you. As you begin to walk in that love, there is blessing, there is prospering in the Lord. And this is a time of spiritual restoration for the nation. Second Chronicles gives more detail of the spiritual reforms that Hezekiah brought. He repaired the temple. He brought back the celebration of Passover. And so this pattern that we see in the nation of Judah coming back to godless, and that's still a pattern for all lives. These steps we take to come to the Lord, 
Receive his mercy. Allow God to begin to prosper your life. Let's look on now to some of the details. This is a a story of Hezekiah uh, being surrounded by his enemies, but God is still sovereignly intervening, and we see tonight here the power of prayer. It's It's a little bit of a lengthy text tonight, but to get through the whole story, you have to kind of piece it all together. So we'll read a lot, but most of the story speaks for itself. And then I've got a few things in my heart that I think the Lord would have us to consider. Look with me, verse 9. Now it came to pass in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hoshea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Shalmanazar, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. And at the end of three years, they took it. In the sixth year of Hezekiah, that is, the ninth year of Hosea, king of Israel, Samaria was taken. Samaria was the capital of the northern nation Israel. This is letting us know that Hezekiah was on the throne in Judah while Israel, the capital of Samaria, was falling. Verse 11, then the king of Assyria carried Israel away captive to Assyria and put them in Halah and by the Habor, the river of Gozan and the cities of Medes, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God. This is why Israel fell to their enemies. Not because their enemies were stronger, not because God was not there to protect, but because they refused to obey God and transgressed his covenant and all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded and they would neither hear nor do them. So the north falls. Uh, Samaria was its capital. Hezekiah is on the throne in Israel. Let's pick it up, verse 13. And in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, now there's a new king in Assyria, and he, want, and he has his eyes on the rest of the nation. He now looks to the south, to Judah. Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. He's moving into the land. Then Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, I have done wrong. Turn away from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will pay. And the king of Assyria assessed Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. So Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. At that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the pillars which Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid, and gave it to the king of Assyria. Assyria comes up against Judah. They've now got their sights there. And this king is kind of surrounding Judah. They've conquered cities. Hezekiah was in Jerusalem, which would have been a well-walled city, but he sees the Assyrian leader coming to take the land, and he says, listen, uh, how, how can I appease you? I've done wrong. He was looking to kind of resist Assyria by aligning himself with Egypt and some other nations. And he says, they're not able to help me. I see that I need to pay tribute to you. And Assyria, the king, charges him this tax. He has to strip the gold off the walls of the temple, the doors of the temple. He's trying to scrape everything he can to appease this king. This is Hezekiah trying to resolve his crisis in his own strength. This is Hezekiah trying to do everything within his natural resources to try and appease the enemy. But as we'll see, it doesn't work. The enemy is not satisfied. He tries to buy peace, but this Assyrian king 
will not be satisfied. Verse 17, then the king of Assyria sent Tartan, the Rabsaris, and the Rabshakah from Lachish. Rabshakah is a name for uh, kind of the field general. Send his commanders of his army with a great army against Jerusalem to King Hezekiah. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. When they had come up, they went and stood by the aqueduct from the upper pool, which was on the highway to the fuller's field. And when they had called to the king, Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, Shebna the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came out to them. So Hezekiah sends out his officers to negotiate some kind of peace with the commander of the Assyrian army. Verse 19, then the Rabshakeh, the field general, said to them, say now to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, what confidence is this in which you trust? You speak of having plans and power for war, but they are mere words. And in whom do you trust that you rebel against me? Now look, you are trusting in the staff of this broken reed, Egypt, on which if a man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? Now, therefore, I urge you, give a pledge to my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you 2,000 horses if you are able to, on your part to put riders on them. He's kind of mocking him. How then will you repeal one captain of the least of my master's servants and put your trust in Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Have I, have I now come up without the Lord against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. So this is quite a taunt that this field general, and he's delivering the message of the king. And I mean, it's almost a, 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 a mocking. You know, look, we'll supply you the horses for you even if you can put riders on them, and then we'll fight you. That's like, you know, we'll fight you with one hand tied behind our back. We'll help you out, and if you've got enough riders, we'll still defeat you. You put your trust in Egypt, they can't help you. But then he makes a mistake. You put your trust in the Lord your God. He can't help you. And then he crossed the line there, didn't he? Now he's mocking the God of Hezekiah. Now he's coming against not just the people, but the God of this people, which is the true and living God. But this field commander, this, he kind of exemplifies the typical tactics of the enemy. And this is kind of maybe the first anchor that I want to leave with you tonight of thought. The enemy of our soul is always looking to intimidate. And he, he comes with blustery words. He comes with intimidation, uh, almost a bully style. Who do you think you are? How do you think you're going to make it? You think you're going to escape this situation? You think things are going to work out for you? You think you've got enough resources? You think you're, you're strong enough to do anything about what's coming against you? Do you think your God is going to help you? Don't you know, and this is the king of Assyria saying, your God's the one who told me to come deal with you. I mean, he's just boasting, he's blaspheming, but he's trying to intimidate this king and this people. And this is something that we need to be mindful of even in our 
journey and walk of faith. There is an enemy that wants to squelch faith. There are spiritual forces that will resist your trust and confidence in the Lord. And maybe you've heard those voices. Sometimes they are whispered in our own head. What are you doing? You think this is going to work? You think God's going to get you through this? You really believe that God can help you in this situation? You think God can rescue this circumstance? Those are the whisperings of our own mind sometimes. And sometimes it comes through voices outside, like in this case, a, a field general coming up and, you know, pointing his finger in the face of the king. Maybe you've had one of those encounters at work, at home, a family member, an, an individual saying, who do you think you are? You trust in the Lord. You think God can help you? And they begin to taunt you and intimidate you. And this is often the voice of the enemy trying to quench your faith. When Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to the cross. My destiny is to lay down my life in Jerusalem. What did Peter say? Oh, no, you're not. You're not going there. Never. I'll never allow that, Lord. Not, not, Not on my life will you be giving your life in Jerusalem. Peter was Jesus' own disciple. He thought he was standing for what was right and good. Well, what did Jesus say to him? Get thee behind me, Satan. Anything that stands between the work of Christ and the cross is not the Lord. And anything that stands between your faith and trust in the Christ of the cross is not from the Lord. You're going to face challenges. You're going to have intimidating forces that come up against you, circumstances that are overwhelming, and you're going to have to trust the Lord to bring you through. Has the Lord ever brought you through a difficult circumstance? Amen. But, but before he brought you through, what were you thinking? I'm not going to make it. It's not going to work out. I, it's not, and then all of a sudden, oh, praise the Lord. He, he's so faithful. <laughs> And this is the journey. And this is Hezekiah. He's at this crossroad. Recognize, understand the tactic of the enemy. This coming against, this trying to discourage. He's not finished. Look at verse 26. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, Shebna, and Joash said to the Rabshakeh, these are the officers that Hezekiah sent out to talk to this guy. This is happening right outside the city wall. And they say to him, please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it, and do not speak to us in Hebrew in the hearing of the people who are on the wall. Hey, come on. Uh, You're going to intimidate everybody in the city. You're going to cause a panic. Just talk to us in Arabic. Don't talk to us in the Hebrew tongue. Oh, well. Do you think the Rabshakeh was on board with that? Verse 27, the Rabshakeh said to them, has my master sent me to your master and to you to speak these words and not to the men who sit on the wall who will eat and drink their own waste with you? More intimidation. Then the Rabshakeh stood and called out with a loud voice in Hebrew and spoke saying, hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you for he shall not be able to deliver you from his hand. Nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, the Lord will surely deliver us. This city shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Sounds a little bit like the devil, doesn't it? Sounds like a spiritual attack. Verse 31, do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, make peace with me, 
buy a present and come out to me. And every one of you eat from his own vine and every one from his own fig tree and every one of you drink the waters of his own cistern. Surrender and come and joy. Verse 32, until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive groves and honey, that you may live and not die. But do not listen to Hezekiah, lest he persuade you, saying, the Lord will deliver us. Boy, sounds pretty tempting. Come on out, surrender. We'll let you come back and enjoy your own land, and then we'll take you to, and this, is, this was the pattern of the conquering nations at that time, they would resettle the national population back in their homeland, take them out of their homeland, resettle them, take them captive. And they, they're promising, look, we're going to take you, boy, it sounds pretty good, land of bread and vineyards and olive groves, and you're there on the city wall, and you're, you're, you see the nation being surrounded and taken captive, and you're in there under siege, water and food are scarce, and now here's this boastful voice saying, don't trust in the Lord and don't trust in your king who's trying to encourage you to trust in the Lord. Verse 33. Has any of the gods of the nations at all delivered its land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are, where are the gods of the Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of uh, Sepharvim and Hina and Eva? Indeed, have they delivered Samaria from my hand? Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their countries from my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand? Verse 36, very important. But the people held their peace and answered him not a word, for the king's commandment was, do not answer him. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, the the officers, the recorder, they came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of the Rabshakeh. So he continues to offer his threats And he continues to stir fear in the heart of the people. Don't listen to anyone that would be encouraging you to trust in the Lord. It's not going to work. It hasn't helped any of the other nations and all of their pleas and all of their prayers. It's not going to help you. But the people held their peace. And sometimes that's the best response when you're under attack is to just keep quiet to just hold your peace, don't, don't negotiate with the devil, don't start bantering, don't start arguing and trying to, you know, talk your way, just hold your peace and keep your eyes and heart on the Lord. But you see again just the tactic of the enemy. Turn your, don't trust in the Lord, surrender, come with me. Don't listen to anybody who's telling you to trust in the Lord. Surrender, make peace with me. This is the voice of the enemy. This is the voice sometimes of the culture. This is the voice sometimes of our own mind. Christianity, serving the Lord, living for Jesus in our day. Are you serious? Are you really that old-fashioned? Do you really believe that stuff? You're really going to live under that kind of a biblical moral code? Don't you know how out of touch you are with what's going on? Don't you see other so-called religious people embracing lifestyle and, and compromising and getting with the program. 
You can hear the voice of the enemy even in our day, even in our own time. Sometimes it's very specific to your own circumstance. Sometimes it's just the voice of the age. It's the voice of the, of the culture, of the people, the voice of the world coming against faith and confidence in the Lord. Hezekiah gets this bad news. Well, we need to finish so we can find out how it ends. Look with me, chapter 19. And so it was when King Hezekiah heard it that he tore his clothes. By the way, tearing your clothes was just a way of showing extreme passion and, and you know, um, anxiety. It was just like, we can't believe this is happening. They tear their clothes. We don't do that so much anymore. <laughs> we, <laughs> clothes are just too expensive. We can't just tear them. But we do other things, right? We throw things, maybe. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> I can't believe it. verse 2 he sent Eliakim who was over the household he sent his officers to Isaiah the prophet the son of Amos well guess what Hezekiah has played all his cards he scraped the gold off the doors this king will not have any of it we better we better pray We've tried everything that we know to do. We've done everything that we can figure out. We better call for Isaiah. We need some intercession. We need some prayer. I wonder if he'd done that first, if he could have saved those doors of the temple. I wonder if he had called for prayer right at the beginning of those intimidations and those attacks, if things had been different. But God is merciful. He's open to our cry whenever sincere prayers rise to him. So they send for Isaiah the prophet. Verse 3, and they said to him, thus says Hezekiah, this day is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy. For the children have come to birth, but there is no strength to bring them forth. It's a phrase, an expression. We've tried everything, but we're not able to deliver ourselves. Verse 4, it may be that the Lord your God will hear all the words of the Rabshakeh whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God and will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. Isaiah, we're in trouble. Isaiah, we've done all we know to do. We can't solve this. Maybe your God will hear the boasting and the blasphemy against him and have mercy on us, and deliver us. We're the remnant of his people. Israel, the north, has fallen. We're all that's left, and we're just holding on in Jerusalem. Verse 9, so the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, and Isaiah said to them, thus you shall say to your master, thus says the Lord, do not be afraid of the words which you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Surely I will send a spirit upon him, and he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will cause him to, fa- to fall by the sword in his own land. Isaiah sends a word of hope. Amazing. Tell the king not to listen to a word of it. All that boasting, all that puffing of his chest, all that intimidation. Tell the king... Don't believe a word of it. I'm on God saying, I'll take care of it. It's kind of hard to, to, to 
well, maybe it's not so hard. You can kind of put yourself there. You know, the Lord sends a word of encouragement. Lord, are you sure? Did you see the size of the army? Lord, you're saying not to listen to any of it. You're going to take care of it. Lord, how? Right? That's our first. How are you going to do that? The Lord gives him a little insight. I'm going to send a rumor. He's going to leave and he's going to die. This word of hope. Don't be afraid. I will redirect him. It's important to hear from the Lord. There are times in crisis, there are times in struggle where you need to hear from the Lord. Now, the Lord has given promise to us, promises in his word. And I have found, at least in my own life, that when I am desperately needing a word from the Lord, most often I find it in the word of the Lord. Something in, in the passage, something in my reading, God directs my heart, directs my eye, and something comes to life and speaks a word of encouragement to me. This is the word of the Lord. God, this is how God brings comfort. This is how God builds faith. God doesn't just come in, magic wand, solve the problem. You've, you know that, right? <laughs> You've lived that. But he will send a word. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. Don't be overwhelmed. Don't believe all the fear and anxiety, even that's going on in your own mind. Don't give place to the worst case scenario. Don't imagine that that's the way your future will be. Trust me. Hold on. Keep your eyes on me. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. This word from the Lord. I want to encourage your hearts. If you're in a crisis, listen, get into the word. Get into the Psalms. Look for God to speak to you. Give him opportunity to speak to you. He speaks within our heart. He speaks with the power of the Holy Spirit. You're here tonight. I pray maybe someone here tonight, he will be speaking to you through the sermon. God speaks to his people. He sends words of encouragement, words of hope, words of instruction, words of direction. I'm, I'm telling you, this is my, my experience as 40 years as a Christian. God has spoken to me. God has met me at crossroads, at moments of crisis when I was completely overwhelmed. And the word of the Lord came into my heart and it brought hope. It brought peace. It brought comfort. And then in faith, God eventually brought victory. This is how the Lord works. He speaks his word into the heart and he, he asks us to believe him. He asks us to have faith in his word, to know that our God is not a man that he should lie, that his word is true, that his word does not come back to him void, but it accomplishes what he sends it to do, that his word is an anchor for the soul. Verse eight, then the Rabshakeh, lo and behold, returned, left the siege at Jerusalem and found the king of Assyria warring against Libna, for he heard that he had departed from Lachish. So here's the rumor. Hey, something's happening back at the home front. Verse 9, and the king heard concerning Tirica and king of Ethiopia. Look, he has come out to make war with you. So he again sent messengers to Hezekiah. Here's what's happening. The rumor is taking place. The field general has to leave this kind of standing in front of sieging Jerusalem. He has to go back and see if the king's okay. He hears rumor of the war. He returns, 
but he, he doesn't want to let the threat go. Hey, Jerusalem, just because I'm leaving, don't think you're in the clear yet. And that's what verse 10 is. Thus, he sends word to Hezekiah. Thus you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Look, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands by utterly destroying them, and you shall, and you shall be delivered, you think? Verse 12, have the gods of the nations, he's just going through his rant again. Verse 13, where's the king of Hamath and all these other guys who thought they would survive? The king... Uh, Rabshakeh retreats, but he still sends this threatening letter. And this is another tactic of the enemy. The enemy will not go quietly. Don't imagine that you, you, you fought a battle in the spirit realm, and you broke through, and that's the last you'll hear of him. Phew, I'm glad that battle's over. The enemy, he, I'm telling you, he hangs on like, like dear life. I've seen this in people's lives. People trying to come to the Lord. People trying to give their heart to the Lord. They're trying to get out of the entanglements. Maybe it's addictions. Maybe it's some, you know, just relationships. They're trying to take steps toward the Lord. They're coming to Christ. And you can, how the enemy rages against their life. Things were, oh, they, things were bad and they wanted out. Now that they've turned to the Lord, things have gotten crazy bad. Things get worse oftentimes when you begin to move towards the Lord. Has anybody experienced this in your walk with the Lord? Just when you think things should be getting better, Lord, uh, I'm coming your way now. This is the time for you to kind of, you know, settle things down things get worse. The enemy will not go quietly. And so Hezekiah is getting this experience. This king, he's got to retreat, but oh, don't you think that I'm done with you, Hezekiah. Verse 14, Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And here comes a beautiful prayer. Verse 15, then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God. You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste to the nations and their lands. And have cast their gods, the false gods, into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord, our God, I pray, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. There's a beautiful pattern here for prayer in time of crisis. He takes this threatening letter. He realizes the enemy's not finished. The enemy is still coming for him. He brings it and he lays it at the altar. Peter said, cast your cares upon the Lord, for he cares for you. There's this turning it over to the Lord. Lord, here it is. Here's our problem. 
Here's my financial disaster. Here's my, my marriage struggle. Here's my crisis with my children. Here's my situation in my own life. Here's my ordeal that I... Here, the writing is on the... Here it is, Lord. I can't resolve it. It's beyond me. But I look to you. And he prays to the Lord. He begins with worship. You are the Lord of heaven and the earth. And this is a good place to begin prayer in time of crisis as you bring your cares to him. You begin to, to worship him, to declare the truth concerning him. Because as you declare it, even your own heart begins to, be, to re, be reminded of it. You are the Lord of heaven and earth. These other nations have fallen. They all worshiped false gods. Their God was not the true God. You are the true God. We are your people. We're looking to you. He begins with worship, Lord, and then he just makes his request, Lord, hear. Lord, see. Lord, save. It's that simple. Lord, hear. Lord, see. Lord, save. That's a good pattern for our hearts tonight. Lord, hear us as we cry to you. See our situation and save us. We need him. We need his mercy. We need his grace. We need his help. And he says, do it, Lord, in such a way that you may be glorified. Make your name great as you work. Bring your burden and lay it before the Lord. 1 Peter 5, 6, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. He says this prayer, and the Lord sends word through the prophet of Isaiah, verse 20. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. This is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, has despised you. This is God's word now to the king of Assyria. Here's how God's answering the king's threats. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, has despised you, laughed you to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head behind your back. Whom have you reproached and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted up your eyes on high? Against the Holy One of Israel. Boy, it feels good when God steps in, doesn't it? You talk about big brother coming to the rest of God's on the sea now. Okay, oh, yeah, you think you're all tough now? God's going to deal with you, right? Uh, now God is stepping in to fight your battle. What a, what a, what a voice of, of hope. Um, who do you think you're messing with? You're talking to the Holy One of Israel. Verse 23, by your messengers you have reproached the Lord. And said, by the multitude of my chariots, I have come up to the height of the mountains. To the limits of Lebanon, I will cut down its tall cedars and its choice express trees. I will enter the extremity of its borders to its fruitful forest. I have dug and drunk strange water, and with the soles of my feet, I have dried up all the brooks of the defense. God tells him all the victories he thinks he's had. Verse 25, did you not hear long ago how I made it? Everywhere you've gone, that's the place that I have made. From ancient times that I formed it. 
Now I have brought it to pass that you should be for crushing fortified cities into heaps of ruins. You think you were doing all of this? I allowed you to do this. You're on my earth that I made. And the lands you're conquering belong to me. I formed them. I gave you the strength. I'm the one directing nations. I'm the one that puts a hook in the jaw of kings and draws them out for battle. The sovereign God is now on the scene and speaking to this silly king who imagines himself to be somebody in the earth. Verse 26, therefore their inhabitants had little power. They were dismayed and confounded. They were at the grass of the field and the green herb as the grass on the housetop and grain blighted before it's grown. But I know your dwelling place. <laughs> Those people were not, were not uh, enemies that could contend with you, but I know where you live. <laughs> you're going out and you're coming in and your rage against me. Hezekiah, the letter that Hezekiah put at the altar, that's not when I found out what you were saying. I heard you in your courtroom boasting and claiming, I, I, know who, I know you, I know where you are, and I've heard your rage against me. Verse 28, because you rage against me and your tumult has, have come to my ears, therefore I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips. I love it when the Lord gets tough. And I will turn you back by the way which you came. You talk about a rebuke. This king deserved it. This Sennacherib thinking he was able to blaspheme the God of Israel. And the Lord says, I'm gonna, fin I'm gonna deal with you. My daughter, like he refers to Jerusalem, my virgin daughter, my precious daughter, she'll, be, she'll laugh at you. She, she has, she's not threatened by you because I have come to her defense. And that's what we need. We need the Lord to come to our defense. And the beautiful message of the gospel is this. He has. He has come to our defense. He has come to save. He has finished the work of salvation for us. He has given us that victory, that confidence. He is on our side. He is with us. He is for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? God is this God who comes to the rescue of his people when the enemy boasts and tries to overcome. I will turn you back. The Lord is in control of the nations. I mentioned there's, there's a few little bullets for us tonight. One, the tactics of the enemy. You notice that intimidation. Number two, our God is in control. God is sovereign. God is good. God loves his people. He watches over his people. He has heard. He has seen. He has saved. And this is a confidence for us. Verse 29, here we'll finish up. Isaiah says to sit the word of the Lord has gone out to the king. The word of the Lord comes to Isaiah, uh, to Hezekiah. This shall be a sign to you. You shall eat this year such as grows of itself, and in the second year what springs from the same. Also in the third year sow and reap, plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. 
and the remnant who have escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and those who escape from Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Hezekiah, here's a sign that I'm going to accomplish this. I'm going to multiply your crops to sustain you, and the people, the remnant there in the city, they're going to come out, and they're going to resettle, and they're going to be blessed. The zeal of the Lord is going to accomplish this. Verse 32, here's how it ends for the king of Assyria. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege uh, mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return. And he shall not come into the city, says the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And we are, they were saved for David's sake. We are, we are saved by the son of David's sake, Jesus. God saves us for Jesus' sake. Verse 35, and it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Syrians 185,000. And when the people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses all dead. One angel. <laughs> wow, the Lord almost had, to, almost had to lift a finger for this one, didn't he? He sends out one angel. Just, just, just dispatch one angel tonight. Take care of those guys. 185,000. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed. I imagine he did. And went away, returned home, and remained at Nineveh. Now it came to pass, as he was worshiping in the temple of Nisroch, his god, that his sons, Adramelech and Sherezer, struck him down with the sword. And they escaped into the land of Ararat. Then Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his place. The Lord watches over his word. The Lord fulfills his promise. I'm going to ask Mick and Tony to come. I want to close tonight with some worship. So the third kind of anchor for our heart tonight is the power of prayer. Tactics of the enemy, sovereignty of God, the power of prayer. Hezekiah prayed. God said, I've heard your prayer. Here's my response. I'm ready to move. I have heard. I do see. I will save. And I want to encourage your heart tonight. These are good, these are good things for us, to be mindful of the enemy, his tactics, to remember that our God is sovereign and Lord of all and that we have opportunity to pray. We're going to close in prayer tonight. And I want to ask you just to think about pouring your heart out to the Lord. You may be here tonight and really carrying a burden. Maybe like Hezekiah. If it was on a letter, you could bring it right up here and put it on the altar and say, there it is, Lord. There's my crisis. There's my drama. There's my issue. Lord, I need you to hear my cry. I need you to see my circumstance. And I need you to save. I want to encourage you to cast your care upon the Lord tonight. Worship is a beautiful way to cast your burden over onto the Lord. Worship is a way, and that, that was part of Hezekiah's prayer. You are the Lord God of all. You are the maker of heaven and earth. You are my God. You, we are your people. We do look to you. Hear us, God. 
see our situation and save us. And so worship is that connection where you can pour your heart out, pour your care out to the Lord tonight. The Lord wants to work. So we were, as I was sitting in the back there as we were worshiping, So I'll make a little confession to you. I came in tonight with a discouraged heart. Not for any specific reason. It was just kind of this spiritual cloud on me. And I, I thought, Lord, I, I got to preach tonight. <laughs> you know, I, I want to bring a word of encouragement. But Lord, I just, just, just murmuring to the Lord. It's bringing my heavy heart to him. And as we began to worship, you know, and I just heard the church and saw the church worshiping, the Lord spoke something into my heart. He said, I want to work tonight. You're here with a bad attitude. I want to work tonight. And I just, I just repented right there. Oh, God, forgive me. I've come in with my own agenda. I've come in with my own distraction. I've come in, you know, I'm the pastor. It happens. You guys come in with drama. I come in with drama. <laughs> and, you know, I just had to repent, Lord. And, and, but the Lord said, Richard, I want to work tonight. And my heart was lifted immediately. The Lord wants to work. The Lord is in our midst. We're worshiping the true and living God. He's in our midst. Amen. He knows your need. He knows your heart. What you cast on him tonight, it will not surprise him. He knows. He sees. He hears. He's here to save. Let's stand. I'm going to ask you to worship with me a song, and then I'm going to pray. Cast your care upon the Lord. Listen, if you're here tonight, this is important. If you're here tonight, and you don't have that relationship with the Lord, you don't know the Lord, or you've drifted away from God, you're here tonight and you really, your care is, Lord, I, I need you to just forgive me of my sins. I need to just cast the burden of my need for you to save me. This is the time. This is the place. God sees. God here, he knows. He's here to save. Whatever it is, it may be a, a trial, a need, it may be salvation, the very first step of receiving Christ into your heart. But whatever it is, God is here to meet. God is here to work. God wants to work tonight. Let's worship him and cast our cares upon him. Bless your name tonight, Lord. We worship you, God. We build our life on you and your love for us. We cast our cares upon you tonight because you care for us. I do believe the Lord is working tonight. I believe the Lord is working in hearts and lives tonight. I want to say a prayer for all. I sense that if I if I asked those who need to cast something to, over to the Lord tonight to come forward, my senses, we might all be up here. So I'm going to assume that we all have some things that we need to, to lay at the altar today. Hezekiah brought that letter and said, here it is, Lord.
here's, here's our crisis. Here's our need. Here's our impossible situation. Here's what I cannot resolve in my own strength. Here's what I have no knowledge to navigate out of. I lay it before you. And I ask you to hear, to see, and to save. Let me just say that prayer for all our hearts tonight. And you know what it is that's on that letter. You know what you need to lay before him tonight. Maybe it's sin. Maybe it's repentance that you need to bring tonight. Maybe it's deliverance from a habit, a bondage. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's a job. It's a financial impossibility. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's just your own heart that's grieving and hurting, discouraged. It's the way I walked in tonight. Whatever it is, let's put it at the altar. Let me lead us in prayer. And then we'll close out with that chorus again. And so, Lord, tonight, as Hezekiah did many years ago, we come to you, your people. We acknowledge that you are the true and living and loving God. We acknowledge that you love us, that we are the people of your pasture, that you sent your son for us to die on the cross for our sins. You've already demonstrated your love. You've already paid the price for victory and hope and help. And so we lay all this tonight, all our cares. We humble ourselves before you. We cast it over unto you, believing with all our heart that you care for us and you can carry it. It's not too heavy for you. It's too much for me, but not for you, Lord. I give it to you tonight with hope, with faith, with confidence that you are working, that you will work to not be intimidated by the the words of the enemy, to not believe the lies and the deceits of fear and anxiety and, ho- and hopelessness, but to believe the word of God that makes promise over us, not only for this life, but for all eternity. I am with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will work all things together for good I am for you. There is none that can be against you. Who can condemn you? I'm the one that justifies you. You are in Christ tonight. And so, Lord, we cast that over. We ask that you would hear our prayer, that you would see our circumstance, and that you would save. We receive it tonight by faith, and we pray, as Hezekiah did, that you would do it for your namesake, Lord that you would be glorified in the working of your grace in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. To view and listen to more sermons, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org.